Uh, isn't that great? Isn't that great? Even young adults can listen and follow as well. Isn't that incredible? So it's a great time. Like every now and again, we'll have a time where we just uh, extend the worship a little bit and uh, just spend some time in the presence of God together. And uh, it's a really powerful time this morning, which is great. I just felt God really working in my heart this morning in that worship time. And, uh, you know, for a lot of years, um, the scorecard of what it means to be a church uh, or what it means to be a pastor, um, you know, it's been very different for me. And uh, over the last year or two uh, has been uh, an extremely cold winter time in my own ministry and my own life as a pastor. And in the time of winter, as Jack so brilliantly said this morning uh, with Ecclesiastes 3, there's different seasons for different things. And um, God has really been adjusting my understanding of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a pastor, what it means to run a church. And uh, the scorecard of what we used to call successful or what we used to think uh, was right. It's just been altering a little bit, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Things change over time, but as humans, we hate change, don't we? We hate it when things are different. We like to, things are predictable. We like to know what's coming ahead of us, and it's difficult uh, to change, but I just literally there on my knees just felt God just saying to me, uh, he's just, he's still quiet, small voice just saying to me, it's okay, the scorecard is changing. What it means to be successful as a Christian, as a pastor, as a church, is changing, and that's my plan. It's what I want to do. You know, it's really difficult to hear God in the summertime uh, when everything's beautiful and the sun's out and you're sunbaking, and it's that time of life. It's a great time. Enjoy it. But it's difficult to hear God in those times because you think you got it. You think you, you, think you got things in control. Uh, but when things get all wintry and cold and uh, things freeze over because of the snow and things slow down or you hide away during the wintertime. When it's that time in your life, there's a lot of opportunity to hear the voice of God. Your, your ears are probably more open than usual because things aren't really flourishing and things aren't really working. But you know, the greatest change happens during winter. In the death of winter, life comes. When everything dies and is chopped away and the, the roots go dormant in the ground, I'm watching my grass go dormant at the moment. I'm watching my, uh, my trees, my uh, uh, trees go dormant at the moment. The leaves fall off. I was picking up leaves yesterday. But it's in those times of death when everything's falling to the ground uh, that life is actually germinating. But the life germinates under the soil. It's not the fruit on the branches. It's the life that's renewing and reviving in the soil, getting ready for the springtime uh, to come. So this morning we're going to look at silence and uh, solitude as part of our practices. And silence and solitude, our little definition on the screen there is moments of intentional time to be alone with God. And well done this morning, because you are here at church. High five the person next to you. You're at church this morning. Coming to church is a way of taking some silence, some solitude, separating yourself from the normal routine of life, giving that day to God and saying, I'm going to separate out to just be silent in the presence of God, to come before Him and talk to Him. You know, for me, uh, there's church and there's life group and there's lots of different things, but it's really my prayer time. Most mornings I get up at 6.45 and I usually start my prayer time with just silence. <sighs> just breathing in and out. I just sit down in the presence of God, open my heart up to Him. I'm often groggy because I'm just waking out of bed, having my <coughs> first sips of cocaine, I mean coffee, sorry, to waken me up for the day and just to get going. 
And uh, I just usually start in silence. I don't want to talk. I just want to say, God, I'm here. You're there. <laughs> I just want to start the day with you. I don't have much to say. It usually can't, what comes out of me is, I love you. I thank you for everything you've given me. I want to do your will today. And it starts in silence. It starts in quiet. It starts in sitting there. Only in solitude and only in silence can we really hear the voice of God. Everyone say, the voice of God. The voice of God. Only in silence and solitude can we really hear the voice of God. Jesus often withdrew to places of silence and places of solitude. Solitude means to be alone, to be, to be on yourself, on your own, by yourself, sorry, just you and God. Jesus practiced silence and solitude because hearing God's voice was his source of life. It says in Mark 1.35 that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So if you're getting up in the mornings now to pray before work or before the kid gets up, you are probably being extremely like Jesus because it's dark and you're getting up and you're rolling out of bed and you're going to a solitary place. For me, that's just on the back, uh, my alfresco out the back of the house or it's in the lounge room. Uh, sometimes that alone time lasts three minutes. Sometimes it lasts 30 minutes. The other morning, Jed came and climbed on me at about 6.47, so I got about three minutes on my own, and then he wanted to turn on the TV because I was in the lounge room. I said, no, you either go to your room and play, or you can sit here with Daddy and pray with me. So he sat there and hugged me and poked me and punched me while I tried to pray for another five minutes. So some mornings it's successful, <laughs> some mornings it's deep and touching God, and some mornings it's a few minutes, but I'm there listening to him trying to find a quiet place. In Luke 5.16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. The Eremaios is the Greek word. Eremaios means wilderness. It means alone. It means a quiet place. It means a desert. It means a mountainside. Jesus often withdrew and went up and prayed on a mountainside alone. It's lonely. It's abandoned. It's quiet. The Eremaios is the key to life with God. The Eremaios is your key to hearing the voice of God. You know, the Desert Fathers were spoken a lot about during this season, and the Desert Fathers were the men and women who went out to the desert in the second, third, and fourth centuries looking to follow the ways of Jesus and to get away from the temptations of the world. And the Desert Fathers and Mothers, what they were really pursuing was they were pursuing silence. So they went to the desert to find silence and solitude so that they weren't caught up in the cities, and they weren't caught up in the temptations of the world and the busyness of life. That's why they went to the desert. Because guess what? Cities, suburbs, towns, normal life moves at the speed of greed, the speed of grabbing and grasping and having and buying and rushing. So they went to the desert in order to find God. And essentially, they learned to practice prayer, stillness, silence as a complete lifestyle. This is where we get the monastic tradition or monasticism from. And monasticism has the word mono in it, mono, monastic, which means alone, means alone. But the ironic thing was they were alone, but they were together. Because a powerful part of monasticism and being a monk is to be alone and to separate yourself for God, but they always did it together. One of the values of monasticism is called stability. 
Now, to us, that's a weird word, stability, but to them, that meant community. So they would practice community and living in communes together. They were alone, but they were together, and that would give them stability in their life and in their purpose and in their heart. And out of the Desert Fathers and out of monasticism came all of the great Christian literature, all of the understanding of how to pray, all of the understanding of how to live and how to do life. Actually, the very foundations of our Western culture came out of the Desert Fathers and and mothers and the early church fathers and the monastic tradition that was built for a thousand years, really until the Protestant Reformation in 1500 when things began to take a new look. The abbot Mac Arias preaching one day to the church at Skete, which was a major center for monasticism in northwest Egypt in the early centuries. He exclaimed to his con- congregation while preaching one day, Brethren, flee! At the end of the service, one of the other monks came up to him and perplexed said, Flee? What do you mean flee? Where else can we go? We're in the middle of the desert here. And he held his finger to his lips and said, flee from this. The talking, the babbling, the gossiping, the ruminating, anxious thoughts in our mind. Flee from all the talk, all the noise. doesn't matter if you go to the desert, you can still have a noisy mind, a busy heart. Another desert father asked our... our, Sorry, let me try that again. Arsenaeus, he was a Roman educator, a wealthy Roman with status and position. He gave up all of his status and his wealth and he went to the desert, to the solitude of the desert. One day he prayed, Lord, lead me. Isn't this a prayer we've all prayed? Lord, lead me in the way of salvation. Lord, lead me in your path. Show me your will. And as he waited in silence for God to respond, he heard, quiet voice. Just say to him, be silent. The way of salvation, following Jesus, the way to grow spiritually, it really begins with silence. Stopping, as Dan said as he led worship this morning, just slowing down. Christian spirituality is a slowed down spirituality. It's about slowing, stopping, taking time. There is a very strong link between silence and solitude and stillness and slowness and hearing the voice of God and growing in the voice of God. You know, as a pastor, so many people come to me with their ideas and I'm coming to church for this and I'm leaving your church for that and I'm going here to do this and I want to do that and yep, God, you know, I feel okay. Yep, God, yep, I've got a scripture, whatever. But it's still moving at a violent pace. We hear clearest when we slow. We understand God best when we take time, when we sit with him, when we're patient, when we let things unravel in God's timing. Practicing silence and solitude and stillness is something that is difficult to do. It's not something that is easy to do. It's not something that comes to us easily. Why? Because there's so much noise, so much noise in our world. Pastor Phil, stand up for a moment for us. Just, just come here, just come here for a second. Just turn around to everyone. Just tell them, you know, what's your prayer habit? Like when, when you pray, what do you tend to do? Oh. Oh, 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 oh. 
Sorry. <laughs> that was a bit rude. Stuff. No, tell us, what's your, what's your favourite, favourite Bible, maybe passage, or what are you reading through at the moment? Can you guys be quiet out there, please? The man's trying to talk. Can you hear him? Thanks, Pastor Phil. Sit there. (laughs) It's very difficult to hear when someone's yelling. It's very difficult to hear when there's noise in the background. You know, we struggle with three noisy voices in our life. The first one is our inner dialogue, the stuff going on on the inside of us. That is a noisy voice. Could you hear Pastor Phil sharing about his prayer time, sharing about his favorite Bible verse? No, because when there's noise, you can't hear. When there's loudness, you can't focus. The voice on the inside of us is often very negative. It's even negative or overly positive for and prideful. It says things to us like, ah, oh, you can't do it. Ah, oh, stupid Caleb. Why'd you do that again? Oh, dumb. Always doing that. It's a voice of condemnation. It's sour. Grinds us down. It's critical, judgmental. Pulls us down. Or maybe it's the other way. It's overly positive. It's prideful. It's arrogant. You should have this. You have the right to have that. That person looked at you the wrong way because they don't like you and you're awesome and they don't understand you. You're misunderstood. The voice goes on and on, this inner dialogue, this quiet voice inside of our head. The second voice that creates so much noise for us is the voice of others. Opinions. You know, everyone wants something from you. Your parents want something from you. Your your husband, your wife wants something from you. Your boss wants you to do certain things. Work wants you to go certain places. God can feel like he wants a whole bunch of stuff from you. And there's this constant sense of everyone's pulling on us. Everyone wants us to do something, to be somewhere, to go somewhere, to take some responsibility, to make a commitment, to be at this thing, to be at that thing, to be on the end of your phone, to like that post, to do whatever. Everyone's going to want something from you. And within that is everyone's opinions. Opinions of how you should live your life. Opinions of how you should work your job. The opinions of what you should do with your time. And it creates a lot of noise. And then with our 24-7 news cycle, there's news all the time. We live in an information age where we have information like we've never had before. One of the worst things you can do is watch too much news. Watch too much YouTube. It amazes me how people follow American politics and they consume all of this politics from America, a country that they're not a citizen of, a country that they can't vote in. It just becomes another soap opera, just of controversy and outrage and things to consume and things to get frustrated about. We enter into the culture wars. They did this and that politician said that and this famous person went there and they wear this and they do that and it's just all noise of opinions and the world and news readers and Insta-famous stars and whatever else is going on and it will kill your spiritual life and your time with God. The voice of God is not found on the internet. The third voice is the voice of the Satan, the liar, the deceiver. Jesus calls the Satan the liar and the father of lies, the great 
deceiver, Beelzebub, the, dis, the distorter, the tempter. His voice is always to lead you away from God. He'll always want to lead you away from Christian community. He'll want to lead you away from people that want you to grow up and want to help you grow up, mentors and pastors and good friends in your life that want to help you move on beyond your problems. The devil always seeks to divide and conquer. Look at the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, and there's the devil in the form of a snake bringing division between man and wife, between human and human, between humans and God. And he's always there seeking to lure you and tempt you and bring you into something which is not your true identity, to bring you ultimately to selfishness. That's what sin is at its core, it's selfishness. The devil will whisper in your ear, do what's best for you. You do you, and everyone else can just align to that. Where the voice of God is, love your neighbor as yourself. If you love me, Jesus said, you will obey my commandments. Not obey yourself, obey Jesus' commandments. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for a friend. The voice of God is sacrifice self for the good of others. Sell everything and come follow me, where the voice of the devil is the complete opposite. Do you. Do what's best for you. Do what feels right. Do what makes you happy. It's a very, very different voice. You know, I've been meditating on Ecclesiastes quite a bit lately, so great scripture there, Jack. I was like, oh, Ecclesiastes 3, I like it. And over the last few months, so you're going to get a bit of Ecclesiastes today. And there's three verses that have struck me as I've been just meditating on this the last few months. And I want to share them with you today because I think they fit really well with silence and solitude. So let's just read this together. You can follow along on the screen with me. Or if you've got a physical Bible, anyone has a physical Bible. Does anyone have a physical Bible? You can pull it out today. Irene Ray, good on you. Joshua Bruce, look at that pocket-sized physical Bible. They're rare these days, you know. It's like, oh, I saw a Bible last year, a real Bible. Verse 1, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on the earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. The first part there, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. When you come into the place of prayer just to spend some time with God, when you come into the church community, the house of God, maybe when you take some time, and I'm going to encourage you this week to take some time in silence and solitude just to spend some time, intentional time alone with God. Whenever you approach God, be careful, guard your steps, watch your step, be attentive to how you walk. Don't just stomp into the presence of God. Come sensitively, open with an open heart. Come ready to listen. Go near to listen. Can we have the next slide? Go near to listen. Fools come and they're not ready for what they're going to encounter in the presence of God. They're naive to God's presence being there. But when we come into his presence, 
We come to draw near to hear God's word, to hear his voice. For Jesus, the voice of God, the words of God from his mouth were his absolute life source. And this is our model as followers of Jesus, that we live and we die by the voice of God that we rise and we fall by the voice of God, that the voice of God is the thing that fuels us, sustains us, drives us, directs us, helps us make all of our decisions in our life. The fall approaches in a very different way, not with wisdom, not with sensitivity, not with an open heart. They rush in, they come in loud, they come in with many Many words. If you remember when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, he focuses a lot on how not to pray. Before we get to the Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, Jesus gives us a little bit of an insight how not to pray. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans because they think they'll be heard because of their many words. God doesn't need you to talk and talk and talk and talk. Christianity isn't about talking and talking and arguing and convincing and giving your point and whatever. So much of being a mature Christian, being a wise Christian, not offering the sacrifice of fools, but coming before God and offering a sacrifice of wisdom is to listen, it's to be attentive. And then Jesus goes on and says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue so that everybody can hear them. Big words, loud words, lots of emotion, lots of, hey, I'm super special in the way that I pray. Jesus says, don't be like that because you're not going to be heard by God by your many words because your Father in heaven knows what you need. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 12, the, this is a little bit later on in the book of Ecclesiastes. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious. But fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning, their words are folly, and at the end, they're wicked. They are wicked madness, and fools multiply words. Don't be quick with your mouth. When you come before the presence of God, be careful to commit to God's word. Be careful to listen and obey. We can have the next slide. Listen and obey. Be careful to commit to the words of God. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart. It's so difficult for us in the McDonald's instant culture that we live in. And then we come before the presence of God and we come and he says, be silent. He comes, he says, be still. We come, he says, just be alone, just be on your own, just come to me, be intimate, abide with me, love me and let me love you. This is what God wants first and foremost from, from our prayer and our worship. But you don't want to be still if you don't want to hear what God's got to say. Because if you hear what God's got to say, then what's required is obedience. So be careful what you commit to. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful because if you really want to know God, he's going to have something to say to you. And if you really want to put aside the noise, the external noise out there, the internal noise in here, in here, if you really want to put that aside, then God is going to speak every time. God is going to have some truth to say that's going to be able to transform your heart, be able to change your life. But guess what? Let me let, me let you in on a little secret. Be 
people don't want to change very much. People don't like changing. Even when God says it, people don't like to listen. We like to love God and have God and have the blessings of God. We like the feelings of following Jesus. But to change, to adjust my life, to do it God's way, to let go of some things and trust that God's way is a better way for me, this takes wisdom. This takes maturity. This takes a lot of faith in God. See, when we fill our prayer times with quick words and fast movements and hastiness in our heart, it's really the prayer times about us. It's about us ticking a box. It's about us getting some stuff out of God. It's about us reminding God of all the difficult things we're going through. It'd be great if you could heal that and solve that and do that. But you know, God is actually less interested in solving your problems, less interested in all your concerns and the troubles of life that we all have. He's more interested in your character. He's more interested in shaping you into a man or a woman of God in your heart. He's more interested in dealing with the roots deep in your heart than he is in giving you the fruits that you would like to have on the outside. God is all about the inner. We live in this world that's all about the outer. Following Jesus is a very, very different the last part of this verse is, uh, uh, this passage is verse 3. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. The many cares in the Amplified Version, so this is the NIV, the New International Version, but the Amplified Version says cares are effort, cares are business, cares are action, cares are doing something. So we've come into the presence of God first and foremost with an open heart, guarding our steps, watching our steps, ready to listen. God speaks to us in the place of prayer, in the house of God. So we're not busy with words, he speaks to us. And what comes to us is his word. And when his word comes to us, it always requires obedience. So the third step here is executing his word, obeying his word. A dream comes when there are many cares. God wants to put a dream in your heart. God wants to do something dreamlike in your life, something you could only dream about. For some, it might be a healthy marriage. For some, it might be doing something great out there in the community or through your work, through your career. For some of you, it might just be getting some peace in your life and sorting out who you are and getting your identity right. Whatever your dream is, whatever your great hope is right now, God wants to outwork that in your life. God wants to put a dream in your heart, maybe that you've never even dreamed about, a vision in your heart, a goal in your heart, something great to do in your life, maybe that you never thought was possible, maybe you never even thought about in the place of prayer is where God can speak to you about things that you don't even know. And out of that place of prayer, out of the, what began as silence, what began as solitude, what began, began as putting aside all the grasping and the rushing and everything that goes at the speed of greed, comes a godly vision, comes a great work, comes a special responsibility. The fool, however, is still speaking. <laughs> it's interesting how foolishness 
is tied to many words. Many words mark the speech of a fool. Why is it foolish to talk too much, to say too much? Because people use words to control. That's where the foolishness lies. A wise person speaks few words, but their words have high value. A fool speaks many words because they're seeking to control. That's why we get frustrated when we argue with a friend or a partner and, uh, and just more words come out. And then eventually the words that come out are not really words we want to say and they hurt and they cause pain and frustration and friction in your relationships. Because many words are foolish. Who's said a lot, said a lot in anger, said a lot in frustration, had a great outcome. The more words you say, the worse it tends to get. Why? Because we think we can control with our words. We don't have faith in God. We don't trust that he has all in hand. We don't trust that when we come to the place of prayer and silence and solitude, we just let things go, that he will be in control. We spoke about Sabbath the last couple of weeks and really the kicker in Sabbath, the real reason that you would take a day a week to set it apart as holy for the Lord, the reason is because you believe God is in control. The very act of stepping away from normal life and having a period of rest and worship is an act of saying, you are in control, you are God, and I can rest in that reality. I can literally rest. I don't need a controller with my words and my driving around and my buying online and my making sure that friend knows this and making sure that person knows that and organizing them and organizing that. And I mean, parents are the worst. You go to the playground, don't jump on that, don't get down there. It's just words, 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 words. Kids live there, poor little four-year-old boys running around with, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It's all the time, words to control everything. When you come to God, you come to freedom. God doesn't talk a lot. In my experience, God doesn't say a lot. Whenever he speaks to me, it's in half sentences, three words, maybe a sentence at max. But I get the message, and the message is paragraphs and pages and pages. I get what he means when he said those three words, and that's the power of God. God doesn't talk a lot. You know, Jed, my son, he's almost five, and uh, he's in kinder this year. And then next year, he's going to be going uh, into primary school. So uh, if you've got kids in the school here at Australis, be warned. It's going to be a whirlwind, a whirlwind. Uh, he's a true little boy. Uh, but recently, we've been a little bit concerned with his hearing. Is he hearing okay? So is he, and I'm sure you've been through this if you've had a little boy or a grandson. It's like, is, is there an issue with his hearing and his ability to listen? Or is he just a boy? <laughs> and he finds it hard to listen and he's just got a lot of energy and he doesn't take a lot in. But then that concern of can he hear properly, it's a pretty big concern when you start thinking about school. Because if you have a little boy or a little girl, anyone really who tries to go to school or tries to get educated and they can't hear properly, it becomes a huge problem, doesn't it? What tends to happen when little boys can't hear properly, maybe they have uh, issues with their in the ears, maybe they need grommets, maybe they need their hearing checked, uh, maybe there's all kinds of sinus things and whatever that goes on. If he can't hear properly, he's never going to be able to learn efficiently. He's never going to be able to learn as well as he could. He's never going to be able to sit. He's never going to be able to be 
silent and take in what the teacher is saying. So we're getting him checked out a little bit, and I'm sure he's going to be fine. It's nothing too dramatic. But as school approaches, we don't want a little five-year-old going off to school disadvantaged because we didn't check in to see if he can hear properly. It's similar for us in our spiritual lives or in our inner lives. If we can't hear God for ourselves with our own spiritual ears, then we remain spiritually immature. We remain unable to grow up in our faith. Just like my son would be limited if he can't hear properly at school, he's still going to learn something, but he's going to be limited. We become limited without the voice of God. A pastor preaching to you might be able to get you a little bit of a ways. Maybe being in a life group is going to encourage you to get a little bit more of a ways. But really, when it comes to your life and your walk with God and your destiny and your relationships and your family and whatever, it's on you. I'm sorry to say, but you have to take personal responsibility for your life with God. I will not stand with you before God at the end of time. You will stand up. You're, you can't say, well, my wife, well, my husband, well, my kids, well, my boss, well, my... You will stand alone before God and give an answer for your life. Yeah, you can rationalize things away now. Yeah, you can justify some things now. Yeah, you can say, well, this and well, that. Well, it's hard. You can give some excuses now. That's cool. But one day you'll stand before God and everything will be clear. And I'd say there's a threat. I don't say that because I want you to feel bad. It's not about that at all. God, you will not stand before God and he won't be like this. Like, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. He's not like that. He's a loving father with opening arms. But I'm just telling you one day, you will give an account for your life. Do you want to end your life and go, man, thank God I got brilliant at just rationalizing away all my problems. Thank God I just got so good just giving those excuses at the right time so I didn't have to grow up and be a good dad, be a mature Christian, be someone who some people could rely on. Thank God I just was able to avoid leadership and responsibility all my life. Man, I feel great now. I'm ready to you know, die, go to the grave, go to the... No one does that. That never happens. But the ability of the human being to rationalize away our behavior and our actions and our decisions is phenomenal. The Bible calls that sin. Phenomenal. You can change. You can be transformed. You can live life and life to the full. You can be at peace. You can have a loving relationship with God. It's very, very simple. It's very, very easy. Listen to his voice and obey. There's four ways to simply hear the voice of God. I want to encourage you to do this this week. First, Super simple, just withdraw. Just like Jesus. Jesus got up early and he withdrew to a solitary place. Just find a spot where there's quiet on the outside, externally. You're alone, literally. And find a spot where it's quiet on the inside. You may find, in order for things to be silent, that you have to let things go. So to get the number two, the silence on the outside isn't too difficult. You just got to get away. Get away from your house. Go for a walk at night. Get up early in the morning. During your lunch break at work, 
whatever. On the way home from work is a great, is a great time. Just as you're driving home from work, stop at a park for half an hour and just spend some time with God before you go home. Easy. What's very difficult is to stop the noise in here. And you may find you've just got to write some things down. Oh, I've got to do this. Just write it down. Oh, I'm worried about this. Just write it down. I'll pray about it later. That's a good way to just quieten the inside. Just as you sit in the presence of God, begin to love him, begin to let him speak to you. Just be silent. Just let him wash over you. Oh, oh, I've got to do this. Just be quiet, silent. Oh, Oh, I've got to do that. Just write it down. Just take the thought and just put it aside. I don't need it right now. You might have to do that. I often have to do that. I often have to process that way because I can't just sit there in silence for 10 minutes and just hear the voice of God like that, bang. I need a time of letting go. Often what will come up is difficult things. Lots of us don't want to sit in silence in the presence of God because it's scary what's going to come up. It's scary the deficiencies that might be there. It's scary the darkness that might be there. When you sit in the presence of God, guess what happens? Light. God comes in his presence and it's very bright. And that can be difficult because there's darkness in us and there's fear in us and there's shame in us. But I encourage you, embrace that pain. Work through that first five minutes as you sit there and, oh, that disappointment and this person said this and I have this friction with that relationship. There's going to be a lot of that. A lot of that will come up when you really get into your heart. But you got to understand there's levels. First level will probably be the to-do list. The next level will probably be some personal frustrations. The third level, you'll start to get into people that have disappointed you, hurt you, betrayed you. The fourth level you'll start to get into is what we do when we pray the prayer of examine. And we let God examine the deep recesses of our heart. And we look at our sin and we look at our selfishness and we look at our vulnerabilities. That's difficult. But let him, it might take you 10 minutes, it might take you 15 minutes. But once you get down there and you put those things aside, all of a sudden, number three, you will hear the still, small voice of God. Do you remember Elijah in 1 Kings 19? The story goes, very quick summary. He's waiting to hear the voice of God. A fire comes, but God wasn't in the fire. An earthquake comes, but God wasn't in the earthquake. A wind comes, but God wasn't in the wind. And then all of a sudden, in the silence, in the solitude of that cave, a still, small voice came. How do you know that God's voice is not your inner dialogue? Is not the opinions of others, your mother-in-law ringing in your head? Is not the opinions of the world and of news and media and social media and friends and high school friends and uni friends or whatever. It's easy to know God's voice. It's distinctive. It's quiet. It's kind of silent. It's always simple. When God speaks, it'll be a half sentence. It'll be one word. It might be a full sentence at max. Guess what? The devil's voice, your own voice, the voice of people's opinions, they're paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of non-stop babbling. So you'll know God's voice because it'll cut through and just go bang. What God said to me on my knees there this morning, the the scorecard has changed. The scorecard has changed. Four words. That's how I hear God's voice all the time. That's I live out of those words here and there, those little words that God speaks. 
the still small voice. That's how you distinguish it. And finally, is obeying the voice of God. As you get out of that chair, as you get up off your knees, as you leave your prayer time and go back into your normal life, obedience. Obedience is required. If you don't obey the voice of God, then I would question whether you really heard the voice of God. You okay? No one's offended by that. If you don't obey the voice of God, I would question whether you've really heard the voice of God. If the creator of the universe says something to you, you, me, one of seven billion people, a little speck on the earth, a, a, a puff of vapor is going to be here one day and God the next. But God, in all his glory, who by his word created animals and humans and the earth and the sea and the land, God himself who came to earth and died on a cross for the sins of, for your selfishness and my selfishness, he hung on a cross even though he was perfect. He died as a common criminal, naked, ashamed. If that God chooses to say a sentence to you, Surely that's something you've got to do. Surely that's something you've got to follow through on. Surely that's something that has to change your life. It's the only thing that will give you peace. It's the thing that will give you life. It's the thing that gives your life meaning is that he speaks and you live according to that. But this only happens within the silence and the solitude. This week, uh, our practice for the week, it's been super good hearing people practicing the spiritual practices, because as we've spoken about, they require practice. Our practice for the week is 30 minutes of silence alone. And if you go to the website forward slash practices, there's six points there that will just slowly step you through how to do a time of silence and solitude, how, where to go. The second point is about going away, getting out of your normal routine, driving somewhere, walking somewhere, a park, a mountain, a beach, a lookout, a hiking trail or similar. And it will take you through six different steps of how to do that. And then the last point there, if you want to read a bit more, is from John Mark Coman's How to Unhurry workbook, which will take you through even deeper if you want to pursue more with silence and solitude. So I really encourage you to do that. This will not just magically happen, but if you say, hey, I'm going to do 30 minutes Thursday on the way home from work. I'm going to get up half an hour early one morning and just do this. Then, then it will happen and God will speak to you. There are questions for the week to discuss with a friend or in your household or in your life group are there. So it gives you a bit of a chance to look the second one there back over the scripture of Ecclesiastes 5. We had a great chat in my uh, life group this week about Sabbath. Uh, all of the guys in my group are, are dads, so it was about family and Sabbath. And it really ended up going to about technology and how do you do technology with kids because that's the big challenge of putting that away. It was a really great, great conversation. So... Encourage you to do those discussion questions. This is Sundays. Sundays is the beginnings of growth and the beginnings of discipleship. But really, discipleship and growing and following Jesus it happens answering these questions with another human being. It happens discussing what God is saying to us and beginning to move through that. So let's all stand up this morning. Thank you, Lord God. Just just play a little bit of background music for us. I've just got a prayer here this morning that I'd love us all to, rather than me pray, I've just got a prayer that I'd love us all to pray together. So maybe let's just pray, um, pray it together. If you really want to close your eyes, you can. 
but you're going to have to uh, keep them open if you want to say the words out loud. I'll give you a one, two, three, and then we'll start. One, two, three. Teach me to stop and listen. Teach me to center down. Teach me the use of silence. Teach me where peace is found. Teach me to hear your calling. Teach me to search your word. Teach me to hear in silence things I have never heard. Teach me to be collected. Teach me to be in tune. Teach me to be directed. Silence will end so soon. Then when it's time for moving, grant that I might bring to every day and moment peace from a silent spring. Just close your eyes this morning. If you want to get on your knees again or sit down again, I just really want you to have a moment of silence. I'll shut up for a minute so that you can do that. And I believe that God and His grace and His wisdom, even right now, will speak to you. Those few words, that half a sentence might be about the sermon. It could be about something completely different. We've got about five minutes till we close the service. Dan's just going to pray. You just listen. Listen for that still, small voice. If you feel noise, the inner noise, there's not going to be much outer noise, but if you feel that inner noise, just take those things and just set them aside. Take those thoughts and set them aside. Take those concerns and put them aside. You've got to clear the decks, clear your heart so that the voice of God can just come through. If you've never heard God's voice before, you'll hear it today. If you open up your heart, you'll hear it. It's small, it's quiet, it's specific, it's always to the point. Thank you, Lord.